0: welcome back to time out with the sports doctor podcast where life sports and medicine intersect we're very glad that you continue to support this podcast you can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played as well as getting the video content on youtube but if you want to just get one place to find all the content go to my website at drgerickbsportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. And as always, glad to have you back for another episode. And we have a treat in store for you today. Um, I would like to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Ms. Amanda Hill, who is a healthcare attorney with over 23 years now, I believe, of experience. she has ventured out now to do something for doctors not only working with doctors but she has established guard my practice uh, which is a video series that she's released that addresses many different topics that we encounter every day and she is truly a guardian of the physician so glad to have you back on the podcast
1: thank you it's so fun to always talk with you
0: yeah so Congratulations again, because it's now, I believe, a little bit over a year since you launched your Guard My Practice, correct?
1: It is. And it's been really interesting to see the transition, right, from when I started to now. And I've tried to listen to feedback and try to restructure it on what needs, doctors' needs. And that's been really enjoyable. I've enjoyed that process. It's a learning curve, for sure.
0: So just give a brief overview of what Guard My Practice is.
1: So as you said, I'm a healthcare lawyer. I have an active health law practice in Texas. But I knew that I wanted to do more to help doctors and not just be their lawyer where they pay me by the hour to solve problems that have probably already happened, (laughs) but to try to prevent those things from happening to begin with. So I had this sort of brainiac idea over COVID that I would create these little 15-minute videos for doctors. And I outlined everything that I thought would affect the doctor negatively and how I can help. So everything from anti-kickback to informed consent to patient relationships, I made videos on it. And then I've repackaged that into courses. So I have a course on contracts, one on staying out of trouble, one on difficult patient relationships. And I go all over the country and talk to doctors a lot about, you know, contract negotiations, things that I've done my whole career. To me, you know, Derek comes so easily, right? It's second nature. I do this for a living. It's, but it does not come naturally for physicians. And I get that. So I'm trying to share all of my wisdom to all doctors to try to say, here's how it's worked for me. Because my big fear is that doctors and lawyers are going to just become this codependent relationship, right? You can't sign a piece of paper without calling a lawyer. And then you start to feel like, I don't have any power. You know, I'm tired of having to call everybody every time I sign something. And so I'm trying to teach physicians some of the skills and what I've learned over the course of my 23 years. So it's been really enjoyable. It's, the feedback has been phenomenal about how much I've helped or how, you know, the journey in their career. And so I hope it continues.
0: Yeah, you've been doing a lot of um, speaking. I've seen multiple uh, seminars and going to different conventions and things of that nature. So I think that's great to be able to get in front of doctors to really let them know because I can speak from my personal experience. Many times physicians don't want to have to have a discussion with a lawyer. Or, you know, it's always like the enemy more so than like the enemy.
1: Bit- like, lawyers, gross. Yeah, and right. I hate lawyers too. I get it. <laughs> but we have to change the tide. I was, we were talking before, um, we've talked many times about this teamwork mentality. You know, it takes Correct. a village. Yeah. And I'm telling you what, it really does take a whole community to make sure that we help, you know, not just negotiate on the state federal side. You know, we're, we're talking, we're hands are in the non-compete argument. We're trying to fight for compensation for the millions of inbox portal emails. I, mean, I care very much of having a sustainable health system with physicians in practice,
0: you know? well, <laughs> and practice.
1: Their doctors are just bailing and I get those calls. Like I'm done, Amanda, I can't do this anymore. I'm too much admin time. The reimbursement's going down every year. I'm, I don't see my family. I'm out. And we have to reverse that trend. And so I'm just doing my tiny part in the in this bubble, in this community, where we can help each other to try to get through. And so we need all the different parts: lawyers, other physicians, team coaches, you know, all to get together and form this team. Because without it, no one can do it alone.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, totally agree. Um, so you've had the guard my practice, but now you've done several small group coaching sessions as well. So I know that your partner, Dr. Amy Virtuas is not able to make it today. I was really looking forward to having both of you on so we could really talk about from a surgeon as well as a a lawyer standpoint, how you are able to provide a holistic approach to working with doctors. Um, And the fact that you've teamed up with another surgeon, I think speaks volumes to being able to truly understand what we go through on a daily basis.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Amy is like a soul sister. We found each other and we're like, we're going to be a team going forward. And it has been life changing. So we taught this course back in the fall and we're teaching it again in December. She is a practicing surgeon. She started her own group. She's had a lot of different transitions. And she went into physician coaching a few years ago. She wrote a book that I helped her write or I edited a lot of it about lessons you did learn in residency, sort of be the boss of your own life. And she's a phenomenal coach. Like when I talked to her, I'm always like, oh gosh, how did you know that insight? It's <laughs> so just as a person. And so when we came together, she has the insight of, I know surgical practice is hard. You know, she was a former military train. She went to tour tours. She understands what it's like to leave your family and be a surgeon and, you know, in the military and be away that, you know, it's hard to be a woman surgeon. So all of that perspective that she has, it's combined with all my perspective of, you know, working with doctors, editing their contracts, you know, having the doctor cry in my ear saying, Oh crap, I made a terrible mistake. What do I do? And so we sort of teamed up as like a powerhouse, like, man, we're not going to let doctors be confused anymore. You know, we are teaching this course about job transitions. So it's not just the course that I teach on contracts, with here, little right. bubble, with this little bubble and staying in the trouble. But what we're saying is like, look, you have a job now. Either you might lose it, you might get fired, or you might want to quit. And then there's another job in your future. What about the transition between the old job and the new job? That's where we come in, right? We want to teach you not just, you know, how to lead with grace, you know, how to know what your current contract says and how to negotiate your new contract, which is really important, but also like, don't take baggage with you from your old job, the new one you know, learn how to let stuff go, learn what you really want. You know, I had a doctor call me, she was overwhelmed. She was, she had kids that she never saw. She had a senior in high school. And she's like, Amanda, I'm on call all the time. I operate all day. I just don't see my family. My husband's about to call it. (laughs) You know, I have to make a change. So she sent me this contract for a different hospital system on the other side of town. And she's like, they give me one more week of vacation. It's more money. I'll have more time to take off. But I was like, what? How would you want more time? Money doesn't create time. It doesn't matter that they give you $100,000 more a year because the RVU expectations are the same or more. And so, so what they give you a, a one more week of vacation, you're never going to use it because you have to make these RVU expectations. So don't go leave one bad job and get into the exact same scenario because the problems are still going to be there. So we tried to change our focus on like, what type of job do you really want in this next phase of your career? You know, go fight for that because you have enough leverage and you've established yourself to go get what you actually need for your life.
0: Yeah. So I like the point that you brought up the transition process, right? Because truly it is a transition process. As my audience knows, I transitioned from a previous job to a new job. Now about six months ago, but I am still transitioning. And mm-hmm. truly, it is at least about a year process to transition, right? Because you have to give a 90-day notice that you know y'all talk about in the in the course, but you have to give a 90-day notice. During that 90 days, you have to still work. <laughs> you have to still take care of patients. And mm-hmm. then you are, if you're going to make a quick transition, you're starting to fill out paperwork. Maybe even get another medical license outside of state. You have to still. You can get fired during your that grace period.
1: Yep, yep.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you have horror stories about that. So then, many. Yes. Once you're on that new job, now you're a new person again. Now you're new, the new person on the block. You have to learn all the names. You have to learn your way around, and now you have to really just build your practice again. So it's not something that you leave one job, start a new job, and it's over with. And then the other thing that you brought up is that why are you changing jobs? You know, if you're unhappy, you need to know why you're unhappy, Mm -hmm. because if you're the problem, which sometimes you are, that problem will go with you. Um, And like you mentioned, if you're transitioning because you want more money, you could be getting more responsibilities with that money. So Mm -hmm. really, I think honing in on why you're transitioning is very important. And then what are you getting yourself into on a new job? You know, will it be private practice where you're going to have to deal with partners and deal with handling your own books versus mm-hmm. if you're in academics, so you're going to have to deal with the teaching aspect or maybe research, making mm-hmm. sure that you fully understand why you want to transition and what different that next job is going to offer you, I think is very vital to a smooth transition.
1: Oh, I completely agree. And in fact, I think that's why a lot of doctors are hesitant, even though they're miserable in their job. Basically, this is like, I don't have the mental energy to take that year process. And so I'll just stay where I'm at, I guess. This is what life is. I'll just suck it up. And instead of just saying, wait a minute, let me just prepare myself for that process, right? And then you sort of strategize, how do I want to handle myself? Like, What what am I getting into? How do I negotiate the next thing? How do I find... We spent two weeks, no lie, in our last class, only talking about leverage. And when I asked just blindly, if I were to ask, you know, what do you think is a position your leverage is? They would say, they spout their resume, right? Their CV. Oh, I'm trained in this. I'm fellowships. You know, tra- I have this experience. Forget it. We're not talking about everybody that interviews for a job has the actual credentials. Right. But how do you set yourself apart from the five people interviewing for your job? And when we, I had sort of mock scenarios of like, Dr. Amina Shaw, let's just talk about this hypothetical surgeon. And, and I had the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we pulled out, you know, what her leverage points were. And they were like, I never thought about that as leverage. Like the fact that you're excellent with EMR, the fact that you led diversity and inclusion groups in your house job, the fact that you have these, you know, bilingual, whatever it is, and your patient population really, uh, you know, admires that and works leverage, all of its leverage, but you have to know how to use it and make yourself appear to the next employer. Like they, you are the perfect fit for them. You know, you are the plug that fits that hole and they need you. And that's when you are in a prime position to try to get something out of that new content. But doctors skip over all the leverage and they just want to edit the contract without establishing themselves. So we really talk a lot about don't just sit in your job and be scared that you're never going to be able to leave or this year long process is overwhelming. And it floods you and you just want to hide. You know, Like I had one ER doctor that said, it's too much work. I'm just going to get in my car and drive home. and I'm just going to go to work every day and just try to hide. That's not a good life. You know, you need, it's okay. Then put the armor on, you know, and do the work to try to understand this transition process. And then it's not so scary. Then you're like, oh, I can totally try and transition to a new job. I have the skills. I know what I need to do. And you're, man, that lame. I call it the lame duck session. That 90 days when you're working, but they <laughs> put one foot out the door, and your employer like they don't care about you anymore. You know, you're gone. You're dead to them. And so that is a tricky time. And I always say, like, put your head down. Don't cause any waves. Just try to get through it because <laughs> it can. It can really backfire if you try to cause a big blow up, you know, or you think you have you're invincible and you want to tell them all your beef. Just try to get through the notice period and get your mind right.
0: And it's a very vulnerable time emotionally as well, because if you've been in a practice, you've committed a lot of time and a lot of energy and effort. And you have people that you care about that you work with as well as your patients. And it's hard to part ways with your patients. One of the most difficult things from the transition phase was I knew that every time I went into a room, I was going to be emotionally drained. Mm. You know, why are you leaving? I can't believe you're leaving.
1: You know, what am I going to do
0: without you? Yeah, my doctor. And I mean, it gets old really quickly. And to go through that for 90 days or six weeks, however long it takes for the word to hit the streets, it is can be very emotionally draining which can put you in a vulnerable situation when you're already, your mind is in multiple places. So I think that's one thing that physicians don't really realize during that transition phase is how emotionally draining it can be. Um, Well, and then there's the
1: patient notification rules in your state, right? You're supposed to notify your patients from leaving. And one thing to, no matter if you're going to leave your job or not, whatever, whoever is listening right now, go look at your current contract because a lot of doctors don't have any idea where it is. They don't even know. They got an email, the docu-sign for two years ago. Don't dig it up from the dusty shelves and read it. Because one thing a lot of contracts say that doctors don't realize, you put in your 90-day notice, but like you were saying, they can terminate you or accelerate that notice at will without you having any say to it. So if you say I'm leaving and then two weeks later, they're like, you know what? Go ahead and pack your bags. You're done. They have every right to do that in the contract. And then you're left with, I didn't get to explain to my patients I feel like I have got kicked in the gut. That's what one of my clients told me. I literally felt like he got kicked in the gut because he didn't have the opportunity for closure. And you know, then this letter goes out from the practice saying, you know, the doctor's left. Anyway, you're our patients and you (laughs) know, that was hard. Who do you want
0: to follow up with? Yeah. Very
1: vulnerable. And so you need to be prepared for that. And you might also want to think, hmm, what do I need to do before I put in my nuggets? If I'm thinking about leaving this job then, you know, do I need to take my CME or my vacation or get my dues paid? Like, because once you drop that bomb, it's dropped, you know, yeah. you can't undo it.
0: Yeah, definitely can't undo it. And, you know, we're talking about the emotional time during the transition, and that can affect the way that you think about your worth or your value as well. And that's the time that you're, you know, sitting down to negotiate with another hospital when you're already might be a wounded duck, so to speak. So, Mm -hmm. One thing we tie our worth with many times is how much we get paid or how many patients we can see, how many procedures we can do. But truly, our worth and our value is we're worth way more than we'll ever get paid. And your value to a health system or your value to a community, because many times you're working in, especially in a rural setting where it might take them years and years to recruit somebody of your clinical specialty, number one, Mm -hmm. or definitely to your expertise, it might be years before they can get someone else in. So it's not just what the regional MGMA says your worth is. Mm -hmm. It's about what you bring to the table, how you're able to um, impact the community, how you're able to bring in new business or start a new service line. These are all things that you should be thinking about when you're negotiating, not just what the local value says a physician should be getting paid.
1: Absolutely. And think about things like, you know, when you're looking at your call schedule, how, you know, can you put a cap on it? I mean, how much are you going to be on call? And is there a way that you could put some reasonable limitations, you know, even to say, if I work so many shifts per year, everyone over that I get paid extra for because then it makes, it's not about the money, right? It's not that, like you said, you're not valuable. It's the fact that you feel respected. You know, I don't want doctors, they come to me a lot of feeling disrespected because they're just these they core work on the position and they just keep on dumping it. Like the fire just keeps growing and, you know, they feel like, you know, am I just at your disposal? I'm just a widget for the system that I work and just, you know, work myself to the bone. So you want to feel that if you're going to work extra shifts, you get compensated for it, you know, or you can have the ability to say no, you know, mutual agreement, my favorite phrase, you know, if they're going to stick you in a different location you have to agree because a lot of times that affects your non-compete. So you want to make sure that they don't just stick you somewhere. So all of these things are not just about money. They're about holding your power, making sure that you feel that you have, you know, the ability to stand up and say, I'm valuable. You know, I had an endovascular surgeon that was, we were trying to get him this job and it was in a really remote area. And I went to the hospital like, Who else are you going to find? (laughs) How does this work in this area? You know, like this is the best hire. And so he wants this amount of time off so he can travel and live his life. And so you really have to look at it from all angles. But the good time to do it is not when you're down and out, like you were saying, when you're kicked in the gut, when you're vulnerable. I've had doctors tell me, I'll sign anything. I can't be seen as being fired. Uh, Whatever job comes along, they're just like, send me the contract. You know, man, I'm gonna write my name on it, and they're just in a vulnerable spot. So think about it in advance before the crisis gets there. On how I'm going to do this, because then it becomes muscle memory, and when you're there, you can say, "I practiced this. I know my leverage. I'm gonna follow these tips, and I I'm not gonna burn a bridge." Because I tell you what, it's hard. I mean, human beings have an instinct to want to make all their opinions known when they feel them, <laughs> you know, and it takes a lot of maturity. And a lot of forethought to forethought to say, you know what, I'm gonna hold back. And I'm now is not the time to lash out at the CMO and HR and the CMO, you know, and all the people and tell them what I think because I need to strategize for what's best for me.
0: Yeah. That is absolutely. the one
1: thing that I'll learn.
0: If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Now, I think that's very valuable. Let's talk about, so I was almost going to say post-COVID, but we're not post-COVID because COVID seems to be rearing its head again. Never goes away! Right. The post-pandemic phase of medicine, we know that the medical system as a whole, the infrastructure was damaged, so to speak, from COVID and the expense of having to pay extra staff and travel staff and different things of that nature. The spectrum, I'd say, there are many hospital systems, there are many states that are struggling from a healthcare standpoint. Mm. What are you seeing as far as physicians and healthcare workers What's our role and what's going on from a financial standpoint?
1: On a daily basis, I see doctors selling their practices. I mean, it's really venture capitalist, huge firms are coming in and I'm gobbling up all of these small groups. And I'm talking about groups that have been in practice for 30 plus years, yeah. you know, all physician owned had a lot of autonomy, had great insurance contracts They were thriving. These aren't like struggling practices, but they're making millions To sell to the big man, right? So they're going to keep selling because why wouldn't they? I mean, you know, you can't really harm. You can't really fault a position for saying like, this was my life work and I'm going to make $4 million. So, you know, yeah, I'll sell. The consequence of that is that we're losing all the independent practices, right? These big groups are taking over the practice. They change the culture. It's no longer like, come see me. I care about you. I'm your family practice doctor. I see you at Little League. I know your family. You know, we're a community. It's more of a I work for, you know, big ink. I'm expendable. You know, if I don't have the production numbers, I get canned. Someone else comes in my spot and I just, you know, just turn through. I see a lot of that. I also see doctors that, you know, everybody got used to Zoom over the pandemic. Everybody got used to instant access, you know, emailing. So what patients started doing like ever before is they always want to zoom visit. They always want to send you a portal message and they don't want to have to mess with that actual in-person visit anymore. They want to just email you and be like, well, I'm having this side effect. I'm this medicine isn't working for me where they used to come in the office and you get to bill for it. Now they want you to answer it in a portal message, which you don't get immediately. (laughs) You know, so you're like, wait a minute, come in and see me. And they're like, so it's changed the world of medicine because Patients want stuff now instantly and for free. And you, I mean, you have to make a living. And so it's, you don't want to be a jerk and be like, hey, can you come in to see me in the office? Because I really need a 99214 for this discussion. (laughs) But, you know, also you want to be receptive and helpful for your patients. And and it's just an untenable situation. It Healthcare is broken. It just broke, you know, and we're cobbling. We're trying to figure out how to put it back together. And I mean, it. like I said, I'm one cog in this wheel. We're, We're trying to move it forward. Um, but one thing I can demystify for you is a lot of the stuff that you didn't understand people. And part of it is negotiating for what you're worth so you don't become overwhelmed by it. How do you outsource a lot of that to the staff, right? How do you get the physician out of a lot of that administrative mire so you can focus back on what you really love? How does the group, you know, feel about physicians and autonomy and the patient relationship? There was a huge lawsuit down here in Texas. Because, of, you know, company was basically telling doctors, that's too many days admit in the hospital. You got to shorten that, They you know, telling them how to practice medicine and you know, you're the physician, not the entity that controls you. And so we have to sort of all stand up together and hold link arms and say, physicians have to be autonomous and they have to have the power to have relationships with their patients and they can't be just widgets in this big scheme anymore.
0: I agree with that. Um, and then also, are you seeing a change in benefits or change in things days off in contracts kind of in the current medical state?
1: Well, I'm seeing everyone doing more with less. And so a lot of times they will say, well, we just can't give you more time. We don't have any doctors, you know? So Mm -hmm. like if you take off a a month and a half, like who's going to replace you? They try, you know, a lot of systems now, some of them aren't really truthful. A lot of them say that, but that's not really true. But I mean, you know, everyone's using this excuse, but. A lot of times they'll say to the physicians, you know, like if you just put in your time and effort, you know, we'll you'll get rewarded in the end. And that's when I want to go, the proofs of the pudding. Where is that in writing? What where is it? What bonus does it say? Because if you're right and these doctors are taking less vacation, less benefits, working for less money, then they better have some benefit, either more time off or there's gonna be a benefit that kicks in after 18 months or something, but you cannot rely on just the assurances of this group you know, before you sign that you're going to have all this, you know, thanks and gratitude, it's not going to happen. It needs to be in the contract. So whatever this magical formula is, that they're telling you, it'll all work out, put it in writing, get it in the contract, say, you know what, I understand that in the first 12 months, I won't make what I thought, but the bonus is going to kick in. And here's the, you know, here's how it's going to be structured. And for every patient above this level, I get 50% of, or whatever the deal is. And you make sure that's in writing. I mean, doctors come to me all the time and they say, they promised me this. They told me they wouldn't hold this against me. Or I know it has a non compete, but they swore to me that they've never in 30 years ever enforced this non compete. Don't believe them because that is why I'm slammed is because doctors coming to me saying, I cannot believe they went back on their word. Put it in the contract and then you don't have to worry.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about new physicians. Coming out, residents finishing up, starting a new job, or even physicians, me a career transitioning. What is the importance of having another set of eyes on the contract before you sign it?
1: Oh my gosh, so important. And it isn't about me, you know, trying to gin up work. Right. Because I can't represent these doctors, even if I wanted to, right? I'm in Texas. Please, please, please have someone look at these contracts. And there's like three things, I mean. If you're not going to get, especially as a resident, if you're coming out, you're not going to get a bunch of changes. You're not going to have them take the knock beat out and give you a $100,000 more But is there a backdoor? Doctors that sign contracts without any way out all the time. And it blows my mind. It's like, did you not look this over before you signed it? Because if there's no way out, then you're locked in like in prison. So make sure that there is a way out without cause. You don't have to explain it. You can walk away with a certain number of days notice. And that if they fire you in that interim, they have to pay you the 90 days, right? Guarantee yourself a window of time to allow for the transition. You know what I said earlier about how they can accelerate that? You better write that in there. But if they accelerate it, they're going to pay for the entire 90 days. So I tell doctors, consider that a paid vacation, you know, because and that's fine as long as they pay you for it, but find a way out. And then the second, I always say like number two, make sure that it's, that you can meet the expectations that are in there. So you don't go in, you know, with unrealistic expectations, that's like a recipe for disaster. And yeah, you know, and I think
0: that's probably going to be one of the most common mistakes for a young physician. Because yeah. I can tell you, I remember you get the contract in hand and you're flipping, flipping, flipping to try to find that line that says the salary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really understand what it means or what are the expectations to meet that salary. But that salary is going to go away at some point, usually in one to two years. And then you have to earn RBUs up to that amount. So just flipping to the contract saying, boom, that's the salary I wanted. We're good. That could be a very vital mistake.
1: Well, and let me tell you something that just happened today very timely, hot off the presses. (laughs) I was reviewing a a physician's contract, and the salary was great. It was like 600 and something thousand. And all the doctor sees is the number. 650,000, man, that's a lot of money. I can't wait to sign it. But of course, it's tied to RVUs. And if there's no way that a doctor's ever in a million years going to be able to bill 10,000 RVUs, then guess what? You're never going to get 650,000, right? That's based on 10,000 RVUs and different specialties, you know, it's harder and easier to earn it. But in this specialty, it was very hard to get that. And the average RVU, let's say, is between seven and 8,000. Then you know, they're going to reduce your salary accordingly. And you're going to not get close to that. And I don't think doctors realize that they're tied together. And it even says, if you don't hit these numbers, your salary goes down. So let's be realistic and say, okay, at the end of the day, if 8,000 is about you're working really, really hard, then what does that mean as far as salary? Let's be honest about it and not be pie in the sky because you're never going to hit 10 plus thousand a year. And that's what you got to look at. It's not just the number. It's like, how do they calculate that? What's it based on? What are the expectations? So that's why it's helpful to have someone else look at it. Either a colleague, a trusted advisor that's gone, and you know, looked at these, healthcare lawyer. I mean, of course, i have recommended a healthcare lawyer because we do this every day, but certainly anyone else that can help you understand it. So one doctor's like, I feel like an idiot. This stuff just looks like Greek. Like, I don't even understand the words. <laughs> you know? And I was like, well... I too don't understand medical records oftentimes, you know, and in KT, just looks like a bunch of lines. I mean, I look at a pathology report and just I have no idea if that's normal. And so we all have our skills. So just trust someone to give you the guidance through it. Because when I have a client that says to me, oh, I can't get out. I thought I had 90 days. And I was like, nope, there's no way out. You have to stay for five years unless you can argue they breached the contract. That is a very bad day
0: yeah and play to your strengths don't if you like you said if you're not comfortable with contracts please 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 get someone else to look at it get another colleague to look at it get a mm-hmm. you know legal a lawyer to give you some legal advice as well because once you've signed it it's done
1: it's done mm-hmm. and i don't think there's power in numbers like a lot of times I'll, I'll get maybe a neurologist or anesthesiologist and they all you know are kind of time to renegotiate their contract together Well, don't pick each other off and be like, well, I got a lawyer and I got another lawyer and we're all fighting these independent battles. You know, go in mass because if you go in mass and say the radiology department is not happy with the expectations, you're much more likely to get a change across the board rather than like one person had a better lawyer and the other person just signed it because their husband waxed said to, you know, the other one is like not asking for much. That's a bifurcated nightmare. So get together, make sure all of you sort of think you know, trying to get this big ship moving in the same direction.
0: Yeah, no, that's good advice. And tell us about what you and Dr. Amy, this new course, how people can get involved if they want to and what it's going to be about.
1: Yes. So Tuesday, um, the 28th of November, we're going to do a free webinar. And if you miss it, it's okay. We'll do the replay, but we hope you're there because we're going to talk a lot about this. And then December the 12th is our first day of the new course. I understand it's before the holiday, but Holidays are when a lot of change happens. In fact, we were going to start this course in the new year, but I have seen so much in the news about doctors being let go. They're scared of losing their jobs. We're like, man, we're just going to start it. And it meets, it's a three month course. It meets every Tuesday night, sort of VIP because you have us, you know, live (laughs) to, to answer questions and to go through this together with you. And it's a real transformation. I mean, Amy's got a real way with coaching. Which sort of changes the mindset, and I work with you with the on the you know the contract part. It's a phenomenal course, and I hope everyone looks into it. It's on the Guard My Practice website. Just click on ninety day notice; that'll take you to it. But I really hope you sign up because it can change your life for the better if you're better prepared.
0: And we will um, include the information about the course in the web in the show notes as well. Uh, but I cannot really tell you how important it is to have someone. Number one, where you're getting advice by the month, not by the hour, mm-hmm. you know, or by the email, because every email has a cost, well, and every phone well. call has a cost. So when well, you can get a, a general understanding of things, even if, like you mentioned, she's only in the state of Texas. So even if you get this information and you're dealing with your personal lawyer in whatever state, you can decrease the amount of questions that you have to ask or be able to ask more targeted questions, which is really important just in general not even from a contract negotiation standpoint it's just you're going to get more understanding when you have a basis and i think that's what your course is going to really provide for people
1: absolutely in the last round we had doctors from all over the united states and i mean i had one of them say afterwards i truly think of myself differently now i feel so much more ready to take this next leap so that's what it's all about you know it's about us building this community around doctors and helping you through one of the hardest things they're going to do. You're only going to change jobs a couple of times in your career. And so it's a really big decision and you just don't want to take it lightly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And any way that I can help out or add value as a transitioning doctor, I'll be glad to help out.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I remember when you went through your transition and you did it with grace. And that is one thing that I am really, I'll shout out to you, but also I think it's really important for other doctors to learn from your example of sort of doing it, saying, I appreciate the opportunity and what I learned here, and I'm going to carry it forward. It's not about this job is bad and I'm leaving to go to something better. You just sort of use it all as a learning opportunity to go to the next thing. I think it's really important.
0: I agree. Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a good holiday and I wish you the best with this upcoming course. And hopefully I'll be with Dr. Amy on another time to really hear her story as well.
1: All right, awesome. Thanks, Derek.
0: All right, you're welcome. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine is.